Hello. Hello. Welcome back to one of our episodes. I believe this is 15. episode 15. Mm-hmm. 15. It's so exciting. Um, if we sound a little different, it is because we are recording virtually for the first time ever. And so we hope it all works out. This will be kind of our test run. Ooh. Anyway, welcome to Me, My Shelf, and I, an official confession stand podcast. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Hannah Slash Spuds. I'm Sam Swags. And I am Sarah Carbs. I was just thinking, how are we going to signal who goes next? <laughs> we made it work. That I like perfectly. winked and no one was here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are we going to be talking about today? We are on book four of the Accord of Thorn and Roses series, uh, Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Mass. We'll be talking about chapters one through the end of 12. Whoop, whoop. Can't wait to get sad as fuck. (laughs) Where we left off, the last episode was about uh, Frost and Starlight, and it was a feel-good Christmas episode, and all of that goodness, just forget about it, because we're about to take you to the dark depths of depression. And we start off this series with not even chapter one. It's before the book even starts. We have Nesta's point of view, and she's reliving being in the cauldron. How did you guys feel about that? Were you expecting that to be the first chapter? Or not even chapter. Were you expecting that to be the intro to this book? No, but I think it's important to truly see it from Nesta and or Elaine's perspective. This entire time, anytime the trauma of the cauldron, I called it the cauldron dunking earlier, um, (laughs) is being told. It's always from someone else's point of view. So I think it's pretty heavy to get a firsthand account of essentially commentary, a comparison to assault. Honestly, I didn't even think about it that way, that we've never actually heard it from Nesta's point of view going into the actual cauldron. Well, and I, and I think that there's two things where as Nesta seemed fine in Akawar because Elaine was a mess, so she sort of had to push all of that down, I think. So we, I, I, I certainly assumed that Nesta wasn't affected by it because the next time we see Nesta is she's just being Nesta and Elaine's the one that's going through the, the trauma response. And then I think... The, the second thing about this is it reminded me a lot of Mist and Fury and how that book opens up with, with Feyre having this horrible nightmare and remembering killing the, the, the Fae in the, uh, under the mountain. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, like, there's, there, I think there's a lot of parallels with that. You know, it's so interesting. So as you were just talking and talking about how it, we thought Elaine, we could physically see that she was going through it and really depressed. I just realized you couldn't tell that Nesta was depressed because Nesta's personality on the outside was always just bitchy. And she just was more bitchy than usual. So people didn't perceive her as struggling. That's so interesting. And it made sense that she was more bitchy than usual because she just turned Faye, which is the one thing she super duper hates. So we were kind of anticipating she was going to be slightly extra bitchy than her normal dose of nesta so yeah but i guess what i was getting at is like she didn't really seem very different on the outward side of it from a third person point of view 
you're just kind of like, oh, that's just Nesta. Well, and I think comparing Feyre and Nesta is really valid too, just because I think that's why Nesta and Feyre butt heads so much is that because they are so similar down to like their their, their physical features. They've got the gray eyes. They have the same pretty much face, especially when you look at fan art too. Elaine is the standout of the three of them. So for them to have similar stories and not being able to communicate their traumas to each other kind of tracks for the two of them too. I have a question for you guys. So you just made me think of something, Sam. Feyre doesn't really, I mean, we kind of see how her her depression affects her in Miss and Fury, but I feel like it, it hinges more on her, like, Claire better and killing those Fey, And she doesn't really grieve her old mortal self. And we know that now that she was always meant to be Rhysand's mate, whereas Nesta, you know, she doesn't have that same experience as Feyre. I wonder if because Feyre was destined to be a Fey, she never really, like, she never really went through this similar trauma that Ness and Elaine did where they they completely changed like that? Or do you just think that her murdering the Fae was enough trauma to deal with? I would argue that Nessa's kind of an in-between um, Feyre and Elaine, where Feyre never really found her place in the human realm when Elaine is the very opposite. Nesta, it was kind of alluded to, I feel like, in the first or second books that she was always going to have her own destiny, that she was going to stay specifically in her little town or in their country of the human realm, because there's other places humans can travel. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of implied. So she also didn't really know where her place was. I don't think she ever wanted it to be amongst the Fae. Well, and do you think that Feyre, she didn't really have time to grief because she just kind of went from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. She was just so busy. She was also so young. Oh my gosh, I forget how young she is. Yep. What is she, like 20 years old right now? No, 21. She turned 21 on um, Frost and Starlight. And actually Cassian says 21 uh, in, in one of the chapters in this book because he talks about how he forgets constantly how young she is and how at 21 he was just getting trashed and brawling and she's already saved an entire um an entire country and and found a mate and got married (laughs) (laughs) and went through a war do we know know how old um elaine and nesta are Is, is that ever said in the books i don't think it is i believe it's implied that nesta's like 25 or 26 so then elaine is like 23 Mm-hmm, maybe 24. Oh my gosh. Little mm-hmm. babies. They're so young. Do you think, so one of the other things that Nessa talks about later in this book, and I'm sure we'll definitely have to put a trigger warning for this episode. We also know she was assaulted and she was almost raped by uh, who the guy from mm-hmm. the town she almost got married to. Yeah, it was a suitor. Maybe yeah. betrothed. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and she, it was the guy that Pharaoh on her way out said, don't marry. You do, don't marry him. And Nesta's stubborn ass went for it anyway, but that's fine. <laughs> well, and she, re- okay. she, she finally rejected him and then he attacked her. I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe some of this, because she describes going through the cauldron as 
an assault and it, it does almost come off like a rape. And I, I would compare this to Alexander Pope's rape of the lock, um, which is a personification of rape, not necessarily an actual rape. But I wonder if there's some of that mixed in with her experience with the cauldron. Cause I, I do think that assault affected her, even though she wasn't like, it, it didn't go all the way. I don't know. Well, I mean, it obviously affected her with how she talks about it later on in the book about how it was such a kind of traumatizing situation and an event that really made her feel. I mean, like, because with Nesta, you always think that she is just this independent. Well, I say independent, but she was like so lazy when it came to taking care of the family. But she just she she marches to the beat of her own drum. And she's just it doesn't matter who you are. She treats you the same way. And that instance made her feel a little more inferior. Like, we'll talk about it later on this section. Um, her training in front of all of these masculine Illyrian warriors who already have a view of how women are and don't look highly on them. And she didn't want to be embarrassed in front of them. And I think that that situation with Thomas probably put her in a situation where not only was it scary, but it kind of maybe hit her harder than most would think because of how her personality is let's get into the book (laughs) this is like all yeah because that's just the intro (laughs) yeah that's not even chapter one that's just the prelim (laughs) so we start off in chapter one it's cassian and he is kind of suited up ready to go to battle and he's knocking on this decrepit door in this gross janky apartment and we find out that Nesta is on the other side of the door, and that is where she lives. The battle is Nesta. <laughs> that he's preparing <laughs> for her. I thought that was so funny. I mean, sad for Nesta, because she's clearly going through it. But that was really funny how even Cassian was so scared to go through the door. It was like he lost a bet having to deal with her. He was not happy about having to drag her to uh, Reese and Farah. That's for sure. Oh, and she also had a house guest. (laughs) Yeah, she did have a house guest, which is kind of funny because there's this constant sexual tension between Cassian and Nesta where they're definitely going to be enemies to love her. It's just how the setup is. That's what their chemistry is. And I'm so curious to know how he really felt about her having a guy there. And when she finally answered the door, she was in the guy's shirt. Yeah, just in his shirt. My goodness. And the guy's trying to jump out the window because he heard a man at the door. (laughs) (laughs) And like, and Cassie's like, you know, like you can tell him not to jump out the window. I'm (laughs) because I I forget, like I forget how big of a presence, not presence, but a big role Cassie just plays in the Valaris community. but I mean, he's a huge mountain of a man. Well, that yeah, that, and he's like a, a, a huge warrior, like like historically. But like he's kind of, it, it's almost like being a celebrity, I would assume, because he's so close. Oh yeah, because he's the high lord's commander of the army. I didn't. Yeah, even think about that. and best friend. It's like squad and best friend. <laughs> right, it's the one person in all of Valaris that you probably shouldn't have to go face to face with. I don't blame the guy for wanting to jump out of the window. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah, so and Nesta is clearly going through it. The last time that we saw Nesta, she kind of she 
detached herself from the family a little bit, but I guess we didn't know to the extent of how depressed she actually was. She is just drunk all the time. She's partying. She lives in the slums by choice. Feyre and Vreesand kind of give her money, and she still decides that instead of living close to her family, she would much rather prefer to be in a hellhole. She's one of those people, she has a mattress on the floor. I know we talk crap, like, if we ever go into a guy's house and they have the mattress on the floor that we need to walk out. That's a no. (laughs) That's a a Nesta. (laughs) Well, I mean, even so, I wouldn't date Nesta. She's a hot mess. Like, I mean, you know, poor kid, but I mean, I I think the mattress on the floor is a good indicator of that. But the whole purpose of Cassian's presence there, actually, I believe she's at that apartment by choice, one, because it's cheap and affordable, so she doesn't have to- spend the rest of her money on booze. On booze, yeah! And, I guess, experiences, I suppose. I could just see her, oh my gosh, I could just see her in the tavern, just be like, yeah, that's my sister, your high lady, drinks on her! <laughs> that's my sister! Woo! <laughs> What's up, fellas? You want to hook up with the sister of the high lady? That's this bitch, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because my thought was, how would people know? And I'm like, oh, she told them. Yeah, she definitely told them. <laughs> well, I got, you gotta wonder how much people in Valaris, like, know about the inner circle and who's connected to who and what people look like. Because, like, I would assume they don't have social media or things like that or, like, newspapers that go out. It's like, the High Lord said this this day. Like, how would they know what people look like? Yeah, that's a good, because I, I thought the same thing. It, everything must be word of mouth, like, even with Feyre leaving Tamlin and the High Lord meeting and the war, like, all that must be, like, some dude standing on an apple box going, hear ye, hear ye, shit's going down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and even, so, in, in the previous books with Feyre, when she was hiding and they were trying to get her from the summer court to the night court, or even when they had the experience in episode seven that we talked about where Reese was injured with the Asheros and they were trying to get back, but they couldn't winnow because that's how they were able to figure out where they were. But if they just stumbled upon someone on the street, would people even know what Feyre looked like? I don't know. I would assume not. Maybe is she on the coin yet? Like the queen or something? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. Is that not a thing there? I don't know. I I don't imagine them like money. Maybe they said Honestly, to, like, I thought they just exchanged in like goods. Maybe they have they probably sign. <laughs> Maybe they like have signed curse breaker posters. Yeah. Are... <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> or, Oh my gosh, or like or like fan uh, like their own fan fiction books. I mean, gosh, uh what's uh, Nesta Reed's smut. Uh, which I think oh is god so what if she read a smut book and it was her sister it was her, it was, oh. <laughs> her sister and Reesan having like a four way with Tamlin and like Haleon <laughs> no oh my god but it's I'd be like, for life I would never pick up another book but it's like Samlin and Beleon <laughs> Trela <laughs> You gotta think that the people of Corinthian have a sense of humor. 
I think that so. Helps. I think there's a lot of ways you could go about it for sure. I also uh, wonder if their perception of Resand and Farah and all the other High Lords is how we view like the president or the queen and stuff. God rest her soul. I don't know how I would feel about because even before Farah, all of like Resand's just sexual exploits as a citizen of Alaris. <laughs> like he was I, the Harry. I'm, I'm just like, what are you doing aside from just screwing everything you see? Like, come on, man! Like, or like. Off. How is he able to insulate his image to his town and his court versus the rest of the world? He He's a mind fixer thing. He could just put the image into people's minds that he's amazing. I'm just saying. That is so much work. Like this man <laughs> for self-validation that he goes through. I could not. <laughs> he's got too much of a hero complex. He really does. Like he, he I'm sorry. Have my recent feelings shown yet? I probably should have saved that for. Oh my gosh. Chapter. Well, speaking of recent feelings. When they finally get back to the River House, which is the new establishment that Reese gifted Feyre and it's finally built, it's her dream home. And this is where Cassian has been tasked with bringing Nesta. And Reesand shows his colors in this little <gasps> reunion. This little <laughs> intervention. Oh my gosh. So it really is an intervention. Pretty much the goal of this quest is for them to get Nesta out of her depression to stop drinking alcohol and it's straight out of the show intervention they want to rehab her and Mm. Nesta obviously as an addict is not here for it she doesn't want to be part of this and so they've been threatening to cut her off and Feyre was like it's all my fault because I fed into your problems oh no I'm so I I let you off I thought I was doing the right thing oh who is me oh like fuck you i'm sorry it's so stupid i mean but well, did favor also enable nesta 100 percent. well she did and she did it so we have the intervention and you're right she does slightly enable it but it is it's kind of funny how she's like it's all my fault it's like no, oh well, yeah nesta is struggling right now and yes you enabled it but like you are not the cause of this chaos no but i think that pharaoh and resand are just two sides of the same coin with their hero complex pharaoh couldn't save nesta and it's a reflection on her yeah i mean i totally agree with that and nesta kind of gives pharaoh shit back and reese Loki loses it and is like yo you want to go to the backyard we can duke this out which is so redneck so we were just getting into the intervention and Pharaoh was kind of telling her that like she doesn't really have a choice. It's an intervention. It's an ultimatum. And Nesta gave her slack back and Reese decides to try and fight Nesta. Yeah, so 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 she tells Reese to just, you know, just to mind his damn business. And um, it's a family matter. The group that was there for the intervention is a little mismatch for what an intervention is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be the people that you trust that have seen the most sides of you. So Reese and Cassian being there doesn't really make sense to begin with, other than obviously Reese to support Pharaoh, but then he should have been the silent partner in that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But Amor not being there despite their fight. And Elaine not being there, it she's kind of surrounded. She's surrounded by sharks, essentially. But Amron is there. 
oh, duh, Amarin is there, but they have their fault. Elaine isn't, yeah. Elaine yeah. isn't there, yes. Moore also wasn't there, but that makes sense. Yeah. That's who it was. Yeah. It was just a weird setup. Yeah. It honestly should have just been Feyre and Elaine, to be perfectly uh, honest. Even with I Amarin, think so too. like, despite their fight, had they not fought, she would be there, but I think it should have just been the sisters. Mm-hmm. I agree. I don't think, I don't think it would have gone amazing but i think that would have been the I, I don't think nesta would have felt so ganged up on and so what's the word i'm looking for i don't want to say attacked i mean she was yeah i mean yeah That's how interventions go though stupid ass reese oh my god i cannot believe him he's like oh we got plenty of space outside to just duke it out are you kidding me i like <laughs> It, oh my gosh, I can't even believe she's gonna have his babies. Like, I would abort right there and then. Like, how dare he? Oh my gosh. Honestly, if I were Farah, I would be pissed. I'd be like, you need to watch your fucking tone. And I think she even says to him, she's like, you need, you, like, this is not your spot to talk, or you need to be quiet. You were just supposed to be here. You said you wanted to be here, which says a lot about Reese, because he's he does not need to be there. He specifically went to see Nesta get, I guess, dug in, or what's the word I'm looking for? Humbled. Yeah, like, he, he was there to witness Nesta being put in her place, and that's why, like, ah. Uh, mm, mm, you know what it is? Reese. He loves the drama. He is such a showman. Mm-hmm. Totally. 100%. So it's interesting that Cassian was the one to show up to get Nesta and not Amarin because Amarin's kind of been Nesta's friend. And we come to find out that they have now also had a falling out and Nesta doesn't really have any ally on the inner circle anymore. Yeah, that was like her last tether. That was like her only true connection to the inner circle at that point. And can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, all we know about what went down was that it was an end of the summer kind of festival with the inner circle. And somehow Nesta walked off storming off and Amran and Nesta have not spoken since. That makes me so sad. I loved their friendship. I know. I know how you feel about Amran, but I don't know. I was, their friendship was so interesting to me. Yeah, their friendship was fun. It doesn't mean I have to like Amarin. Well, and then Amarin was the one who, like, dealt out the conditions of the intervention. It's like, you're not even talking to Nesta right now. Why are you the so one cowardly. saying these things? So fucking cowardly. Because it should have been Feyre. And Feyre does this whole, like, oh, what was me? I gave you too much space and that's my fault. And and you're, what's happening to you is all on me and I need to take responsibility for it. And then Nesta's like, screw you. And Amra's like, no, screw you. We're doing this. And, I, like, like... And that was the plan originally, is that Feyre was going to, like, do the soft blow, and then Amran was going to deliver the terms of the, the agreement. And the- well, Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, good cop, mm. bad cop. And the agreement, or the conditions of this of this situation is, Nesta is going to live in the House of Wind, and that's the- that's that big home in the top of- uh, on the top of the mountain in Valaris, and- She's going to live there, train with Cassian in the morning, and then work in the library below the House of Wind in the evenings with uh, Clotho. 
And do you guys not find it super funny that so like they didn't even want to live in the house of wind because it's not very homely, but they put Nesta there and they want an intervention, but they don't want her close to them. Right. Well, and it, that's why this feels like rehab so much because this isn't even a home home. This is a facility. Um, and, and it's just like out of sight, out of mind. And I think that's what I was really bothered by this conversation because Nessa does eventually just sit and talk with Feyre. She's like, no, I just want to talk to Feyre. Get everyone get out. And eventually Feyre's like, you're an embarrassment. Like I had to pay this huge ass bill because of you. And I'm the high lady. It reflects poorly on me. Elaine is not there because Elaine is cleaning out Nessa's apartment as they're talking. And Nessa can never go back to that apartment because because Feyre is demolishing that entire building to build a shelter for the people who like need homes from that great battle that took place. And that's just like stab and twist because she doesn't need to demolish that building. I like that's her taking this thing that's sacred to Nesta and destroying it. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely her safe space, and it's almost. It's funny because throughout us talking about this, it just makes me feel like none of this is actually about Nesta. It's about embarrassing the High Lord and the High Lady. They clear like they don't want her close enough to deal with it themselves, but they're like, "Oh, it's all our fault, so we're gonna put you up way over there." So that you can't cause havoc for our image anymore. Like, none of this feels like it's actual care for Nesta. And we're not going to rehab you. We're going to put my army general of 500 years to babysit your ass. Well, and Carps made a really interesting comment a while back. Like, not on any of our podcasts. But she was like, you know, Nesta and Cassian have this romantic connection somewhat like they have this tension yeah and like isn't that super inconsiderate to put him yep. in charge of rehabbing her what did you say about that cards you had said something very profound i said that this is Feyre's way of sticking her nose into this because it's it isn't i think it is insensitive to have cassian train nesta because of their history like to sort of like, cause she knows, I, I, I think inherently she knows, oh, if Cassian and Nessa just are in the same place like before, like I'm going to create the same conditions as Akawar, um, when they started to come together, it's going to be in the same house and they're going to like fall for each other again. And it's just- And this will fix her. This will fix her. And then Cassian will be happy because- he obviously loves Ness and he's miserable that she hates him, right? Or she says, or she treats him like she hates him right now. I, I think the healthier option would have had, would have been to have Azrael train her instead. Who's sort of like, or, or maybe more, but more doesn't really like Nesta. But I feel like Azrael's enough, enough of like a sidestep where that kind of makes sense. But, but this feels very much like Feyre trying to, one, get control over Nesta and, and, and sort of help, help a best friend out. Like this is more her helping out Cassian to court her instead of Nesta really getting the help she needs. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. But you know, Sarah J Mass and her writing of convenience has the perfect excuse that Azrael's just too busy with those meddlesome mortal Queens. Like, he doesn't have time for Nesta, but you, Cassian, you have nothing better to do. The war is yeah. not, like, creeping on our doorsteps or anything. 
the general of the army has nothing better to do. No, never. Well, and then they threaten her that if she doesn't accept those conditions, they're going to send her back to the human realm. But why doesn't Resan train her? Like, like, and then Bond as like brother and sister. Because all he ha- he's too busy fucking Farah at the most inappropriate <laughs> times. <laughs> One of the big things that really irritates me about this whole thing, and I want to get to this in just a second, but I wanted to say one more thing about Nesta. So I I feel like one of the the reasons why Resan does not like Nesta and why that sort of trickles down to the rest of the inner circle is because she chooses not to hang out with them. She doesn't want, she opts not to be part of the inner circle. She doesn't say thank you. Like she's spending all their money on drinks and yet she shows no like, oh my god, Resand, you're such an amazing knight, like, like, leader of the night court. Like, she is- I'm so grateful for you. Yeah! Like, she shows no gratitude, she doesn't smile and say thank you. She feels that she earns this, or, like, she's deserved it, because she wouldn't be in this mess had Feyre not, like, fallen for the High Lord, and then they got their sisters involved with the queens, and then Highburn kidnapped them. She's like, nah, this is payment due. So, yeah. I feel like this is, this is another reason why- Resan is so tough on Nesta's because she doesn't like him and he he just has that hero complex where he's like everyone likes me but yeah unless I I, I tell them not to like me because it's a facade she takes away the control that he has over everybody else right right absolutely I will say though just playing devil's advocate because I agree for the most part about everything we're saying I do think that she needed an intervention. Yeah, I agree. I know that we've talked in the past that like, oh, it's too soon. But there's something I still think when you compare Nessa to Elaine's um, working through their traumas, there was something not only damaging to their image, which should be the least of their concerns, but clearly is a bigger concern for Fair and Resan. But I think that the outward use of a coping skill would have been much more detrimental to Nesta quicker and in the long run than what Elaine was doing. Yeah. That's just me stirring the pot. But overall, like they did not set it up well. Resan was a dick. Fairy needs to get her head out of her ass. Like all of that is still valid. It just seems like, I mean, obviously they clearly don't know her. Like, they don't know Nessa yeah. really well enough to know what they were supposed to do. And, like, I, I grant them, like, yes, obviously she needs an intervention. And I'm happy that they're doing that because clearly she's not doing well. But it's just, I don't know, there there wasn't much thought into no. what would actually be better for her. No, and I and think that they shows- just kind of had this tough love approach. Whereas they would never do that to Elaine. No, and I think it shows in, I feel like that night, the night before was the final straw, that this is something that was discussed, never put into play, and it feels like this was a snap decision made by the inner circle to do it, and that's why it was so poorly executed. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's like, we have to do this, snap, snap, done. I mean, yes, it was a necessary action that needed to take place, because- I mean, Nesta was destroying herself. Like, she wasn't taking care of herself. She obviously was not dealing with her trauma appropriately. Um, But they just didn't put... When they were deciding what would be best for Nesta, they certainly didn't think about what Nesta would want. They, They thought about what would be better for them, I think. I was thinking about how when Feyre was going through her trauma and she was super sick when she was with Tamlin and how Tamlin was treating her, it's almost as if 
Nesta's both of the characters. Nesta's the Tamlin and she's the Feyre. Mm-hmm. She's the one doing it to herself. Mm-hmm. Which is just sad. Mm-hmm. It's sad all around. But without further ado, she ends up at the House of Wind and boy does she hate it. They're, so some of the things about the House of Wind, all of the inner circle and everyone around her has been directed to not transport her back and forth from the city and the only way for her to leave the house of wind is to do the ten thousand steps down the house of wind into the city and the house will no longer give her alcohol so when she's around if she wants alcohol it's not possible she would have to go get it herself is the catch yeah those ten thousand steps i don't know how i would feel about that (laughs) i would go crazy you know i thought wasn't gonna be so bad like in my mind i'm not thinking about the altitude sickness of it because i'm also like they're fey like how is going down ten thousand steps gonna really affect them but it it does (laughs) i mean honestly even the descriptions that sarah j mass has in the books of nesta's attempts i was already getting nauseous just hearing her go down and spiral and spiral i'm like Ugh, you're right well and i didn't realize it was like a spiral staircase type deal because yeah that would make me so sick oh my god well you have to remember even though she's fey right now she's a new fey so she doesn't understand her body really and she's also been abusing it and she is extremely weak right now when she does finally start training she is the most out of shape you could ever get. I mean, Cassian even notes that she's very thin when she when he sees her. Well, and she probably wasn't fit. I don't I mean, she was healthier by the time she was turned, but I mean, she had those like what a decade of malnutrition, malnourishment. She wasn't exactly the one to go work out either. Right, and then on top of that, so sure she might have been finally eating regularly again, but she had no reason to work out. Then the trauma happened. So I mean, she has been like truly underfed for pro- almost two decades of her life at this rate. If we're looking at yeah. the bigger picture of it all, oh, tough break. Well, and we find out that, like, through all of this process, her being in the House of Wind, it, I feel like it's going to be very lonely there because the only other person there is Cassian and Azrael, but Azrael's gone all the time dealing with the queens. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I don't know how putting her in a desolate House of Wind is going to be much different from the desolate apartment. Well, and I'm shocked that Elaine didn't, or I mean, I, I, I guess I don't really know what happened, but Elaine, you know... Nesta was there for Elaine's breakdown, and yet Elaine does not opt to stay in the House of Wind with her. I mean... That is really weird. Maybe Elaine's too much of a crutch, and that's why, like, they didn't want her there, but I just, I found that odd that Elaine was not there, even just part-time, like, just to come over for dinners, or she... Or to be there. Yeah! It is weird that... Elaine has, like, no loyalty to Nesta, even though Nesta's based her whole life on protecting Elaine. On, ne- on Elaine! Yeah! It's There's no sympathy mm-hmm. for that. She's almost been brainwashed or something. But it just goes to show that, like, as much as Nesta tried to protect her, Elaine didn't really care. Which is even more sad. <laughs> it's just, like, one... This whole intervention thing was just one low blow after another. It was, like, every time they hit below the belt, they're like, I bet I can hit your kneecap. All right, yeah. let's go for your chin now. All right, we're going for the toes. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and Feyre did tell 
Anesta that Elaine will come visit you if she wants to. So she knows, like, she, she knows, yeah, she knows where you are. She'll come up to see you when she wants to. Which is even more of a low blow because she never comes to visit. I mean, she does later on. In she the sees her one time and <laughs> uh, while she's up there. And, and yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, it doesn't go very well. Well, Nesta's sort of dishing this out with Feyre. Uh, Cassian goes talks to Rhysand in another room, and they discuss how Cassian's role is going to start changing in this book. Well, I guess in this phase of his life. Um, so not only does he have his general duties, but he's taking on courtier responsibilities mm-hmm. because Lucian is not he's a little too uh biased when it comes to relations with the human people because of his position right now and we know at the end of Frost and Starlight he's decided to start living with Jurian and Vasa in their little clubhouse in the, in the what is it the, the band of exiles the band of exiles <laughs> um and he still has ties with Tamlin as well I love it, though. He's finally found his group. I love that for him. Because everyone hates on Lucian. I'm excited for him. I'm excited to see what he does. Like, I'm excited for him to get some, like, get some chicks or I don't know. Like, I want, I just want him to have some good times. That's all. Um, yeah, well, clearly he, his mate doesn't give a shit about him. <laughs> I was no. going to say, speaking of people not doing well in this book, Lucian is on that list for me. No, he he has a rough too. His own mate won't even recognize him. Do you guys think that she's going to turn down the mating bond? I think so. It's weird because I feel like Lucian and Nesta are in very similar positions. Nobody likes them. Well, also, also they are having they are having a lack of relationship with Elaine, so there's that. Um, but. <laughs> Spoiler alert, or, like, plot twist, Nesta and Lucian end up together. But they both <laughs> lost their best friends. Like, Nesta's no longer friends with Amran. We don't know why yet, but they had this fight on a barge about a month ago. And Lucian is really not that close with Tamlin anymore. Uh, they had sort of a brawl uh, and falling out. So they're both have, and they're in very similar spots where they're trying to redefine like their new place and their like new sense of self, I think, without like their external relationships to define them, I think. Well, and you know, it's so interesting. They get so much shit for removing themselves from toxic situations, but no one actually wants to be around them anyway. It's like, I don't want you near me, but like, I want you to want to be near me. Right. They're like cats. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah Resand and uh Cassian have a discussion and this is why I hate Resand. like I get so <laughs> mad about this like I'm just so mad about this because tell us how you really feel I'm so mad like I made that TikTok where I put him at the bottom of the list and I did it really as a joke but now it wasn't a joke he's staying he's not moving anywhere he's staying put because you know cassian calls him out for how he behaved with nesta like trump supporting hillbilly and <laughs> and he and you know what resand he's actually he's happy with himself because he knows that they and him are gonna have hate sex or like angry sex with each other because that's just they just get mad at each other and then they just hate fuck like and it makes me 
like that he is going to get that he is going to get rewarded for his poor behavior is why I'm so frustrated with him in favor right now because she knows it too and that's why he sent all the services away because he's like well I'm not worried about them hearing us argue wink wink and like, <laughs> like it's like seriously go fuck yourself on every single level level one level two level three level Girl, you know they already have oh my I gosh know. i am like come I, on this is round two on every surface uh, like it, uh-huh. it makes me so mad that he's gonna be like rewarded for his horrible behavior and i'm really very- it's not that he's gonna be i guess in a twisted way, he he's not being rewarded. Pharaoh is being rewarded, but he's enjoying it. He's he's not alone. Uh, he's not missing he's out on the benefits. Yeah, I mean, like it won't be her. If, I don't know, like, but if like, but he enjoys giving her pleasure. So I'm just saying, like, it's not it's not like it's not like he's going to be sleeping on the couch. I guess is what I was going for pharaoh would never not mm-hmm. after she thought he died in the last book that would never happen she he, there's no doghouse in that house i think she should be allowed to just stab him he won't die just like one quick stab <laughs> like he this isn't poppy and castile okay, poppy and Cass, <laughs> let's go <laughs> yeah i'm just well that is why and that is why i love their relationship because if you could do that like if you could get over each other by being able to stab it i think that's fine i think that's cool i think that's healthy um so (laughs) i'm just saying i wish favorite would just stab him once that's all that would make me so much happier but regardless um so you could use that humbling not gonna lie you could use that he could he totally needs to be marked to pay you guys didn't know reese is the most humble guy in the whole book series (laughs) yeah him and mariah carey I mean, to be fair, Mariah Carey probably did get humbled by all of Nick Cannon's new. Uh, oh, children, I'm sure. No, that was so. that was that was tough for her. If that's anything, Reese has got his day coming. Oh, don't even get me started on it. But um, anyway, yeah. So Cassian is now. Would you call him the courtier? Cor- He's a courtier because he because because Lucian is still holding the title of emissary. Um, so, you know, like a member of someone's court who's like checking in on people, being represented for resand, you know, seeing what's what. Um, well, and we should also kind of talk about, so things that are going on not Nesta related, there's a lot of stuff happening in the post-war world yeah, with the different courts and the human wall. And like part of the reason why a lot of people aren't there to help with the intervention is because... Azrael's dealing with the human queens and being a spy. Moore's also looking into some things. So we find out that the Autumn Court is essentially just being the Autumn Court and they want to take over Tamlin's land because he's just in his beast form. He has he's barely in his human form and he's not taking care of anything. And the Autumn Court wants to take advantage of that. There we've um Sam, do you want to talk about the Valahan and kind of the stuff that goes along with that? I'll have to pull that up in a second. Um yeah, so on Cassian's first, you know, one of his first tester roles that Reese gives him is to check in with Lucian, who has been camping out with his band of exiles. So in doing so, he also happens to run into Eris. And this is where we learn all this information, you know, that the reconstruction and rebuilding the walls and the peace treaties are just taking a long time. 
that even though they're on the other side of it, it's not a one and done type thing. So that's when they learn about the autumn court and you find out that Tamlin is not in a great place. And then you get the impression that Lucian and Tamlin are in a good place the way that they used to be. And one of the Fey Islands, Valahan, has is was an ally that they're hoping to nab in this upcoming war with the queens and with Coast J and trying to figure out what their plans are, if the Autumn King is swinging with that, and also if this other fairy realm is going to swing with Coast J or with the rest of the Prithian courts. Um, so they this this realm has a history of kind of playing both sides, whatever side happens to work for them, and they have no clue where their allegiance is right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, in their history, they kind of go back and forth where they don't really have loyalty to anybody. But themselves. So, you know, their theory from the little bit of talks that Asriel and them have been able to pick up on is that they're like, why are we going to work towards peace if another war is right around the corner? So that kind of leaves them in a really awkward predicament that they are either going to side with the enemy or just not participate at all. And also Lucian was not overly showing his hand about Tamlin and Cassian makes the note when talking to Lucian that only Lucian is giving this information directly to Resand. So no one else in the inner circle knows what's happening with Tamlin besides those two. What an interesting tactic. Why do you think he's doing that? Because I think Resand maybe Rhysand has a shred of guilt for what he and Feyre did to literally take down the spring court before they realized that they needed him. LOL. They have a conscience? Never. <laughs> Whoops. Um, But no, but I think what really, whether they have a conscience about the decimation of the spring court or not, he realizes, I mean, the spring court is the court that separates the realm from the human realm like that is such a critical up for grabs piece of land and it's going to turn the tide of the war immediately oh yeah i mean especially if like valahan wants to use that as a battleground or the autumn court wants to take it over like that is lucrative land even though i know that it's kind of everyone's abandoned it there but that just makes it kind of like an easy playing field to take up yeah, so we will see. Oh, and then we learn a little bit more about Vasa and her captivity and how she was able to stay away from her master a little bit longer, but her curse is still active on her. So she's only human in the evening. She is firebird during the day still, but she is not required to be on the island with the person that cursed her. So with Vasa, I hope you guys can kind of explain this to me. This is something that I was always a little like confused about. Did we always know that she was kind of owned as a slave to somebody or cursed by somebody and became the Firebird and stuff? Or is that what this newest book? She wasn't always. Um, I think it was in Akawar that I feel like Vasa didn't want to join Highburn. And because of this, the other queens turned against her and sold her to Kostra or sold her, traded her or whatever. Because I think she, I feel like she was there for the queen meetings or, or was she not there for the queen meeting? I'm pulling up her history. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Um, Vasa, in a court of Miss Inferior, Vasa is absent from the meetings between the five remaining mortal queens for their meetings at the Archeron home. 
negotiating the Book of Breathings. The queens lie saying that she is unwell and thus unable to make the journey to attend. However, the other queen, Demetra, leaves is the one that leaves the notes saying that Vasa is not ill but couldn't say more. So she is the odd one out. Got it. And she was the one that was impaled, right? I thought she, I thought she was the one who was impaled. And then in Wings and Ruin, Elaine is the one that is able to see what happened to Vasa through one of her visions. Uh, she sees Vasa and other women kept captive by a, quote, sorcerer at a lake within the contents, hidden amongst the mountains and ancient forests. She says other women have feathers and snow and glide across the water while Vasa rages through the skies above the lake. Her curse causes her to turn into a firebird during the day and return to human at night. Then that's when Daddy Archeron comes in and bargains for her freedom. He kind of saves her. Yeah. Well, to an extent, she's still stuck as a firebird. <laughs> Could be worse. And, and then, yeah, back to Silver Flame where we're at. So when she was banished from the Queens, she was given to this creepy sorcerer in the lake. So where we're at in this recap is Eris, which is the reason why he was poking around with the Bands of Exiles. He lost a handful of his top soldiers that he thinks were possibly bewitched by possibly Vasa's sorcerer because they went off to they went off searching for something and they just never showed up and they just didn't match what the soldiers do um and Vasa puts a name to it saying that it's the that it could be the queen Briellen that would be capable of performing such magic and Briellen just a reminder Briellen is the youngest queen that went to the cauldron first after Nesta and Elaine and was cursed to look like an old crone. Um, so she is immortal, like a fae, but she looks like a really old lady. Uh, and this is because the Karma's cauldron was yeah, because the cauldron was very mad that Nesta took power, like too much, like more power than she was supposed to from her interaction with it. So, um, so yeah, Brienne still has quite the bone to pick with Nesta in her mind, even though like Nesta, but, uh, <laughs> it's like why are it's, it's like why are you mad at Nesta? She didn't even want to go in the cauldron, like. <laughs> So with that, essentially, just to sum it up, because um, we find out that Valahan is another Fae territory, we don't really know who they're going to side with based off of their history, and when we go to the Band of Exiles, Eris thinks that it is Briallen, who is the youngest queen who was turned into the oldest queen in the cauldron, mm -hmm. that has worked with the sorcerer in the swamp and the sorcerer is also named Kostje and it, we find out that it's the bone carver's brother mm -hmm. and he's the one who controls Vasa. He talked about how he had a in the in Aka War he had a brother that was uh, uh, chained to a lake or uh, what's the word I'm looking for like he can't leave from his premises he's stuck where he's stoop at stoop kid never leaves a stoop <laughs> that's, that's, that's perfect he's the death god he's the death god death god stoop did I just kid. show my age I'm mm -hmm. so embarrassed I loved it it was it was, it was quite the 90s flex early 2000s flex <laughs> well and throughout all of this we find out that Baron the high lord of the autumn court has sided with Koshte and Briallen mm -hmm. the 
youngest queen. So Baron has already kind of decided where his loyalties lie. And I feel like his loyalties will just lie wherever they aren't with Resand. Right. Like it 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 almost annoys me how much of a stereotypical villain Baron is. Like I could just see him twisting a mustache all the time. Like <laughs> He's just like, I'm going to do the evil thing. That's my thing. I do the He's evil Dr. thing. Dr. Evil. You want me to do this? I'm going to do the opposite. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know what's... Oh, is this is this good for the entire country and all of my people? I'm going to do the other thing. <laughs> like I think not. It's <laughs> kind of funny, though. Not going to lie. He's an interesting character. He's an asshole, but his choices. I'm just like, that's so barren of him. We should use that as a term for, like, when one of us is having a bad day or something. But, like, oh, she's being a baron. She's being a total... <laughs> total beast. Being a total beast. Are, are you baroning today? I feel like baroning. Let's just wake up and choose violence. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That would be, like, a perfect status for him. I woke up like this, choosing violence. <laughs> um... And then, um, yeah, so speaking of Eris, um, sorry, a Baron uh, and his son Eris, because Eris is trying to take over from his daddy. So Rhysand's going to help Eris take the Autumn Court because he doesn't trust his dad. And this whole situation or this whole inter- this whole interview with the Band of Exiles and Eris and Cassian sort of confirms for Eris uh, his suspicions about this entire situation. So Cassian goes back to the House of Wind and we start taking our lessons the next day. So it's training time and he takes barely lessons. I know. It's not like it's not like Pharaoh where she had to write Resand is a sex god. Like <laughs> Oh <laughs> well, yeah, carves obviously because Nesta knows how to read. Yeah, exactly. Um, they really gave up at the end, didn't they? On yeah. those poor girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's much. just like uh, your sisters know how to read. That's enough. <laughs> You're good, right? You can get rabbits. Two out of three. That's a passing grade. <laughs> yeah, you can hunt your way through the alphabet. It's all Gucci. Um, <laughs> Well, you know what? If anything, Favorite taught us all that you don't need to learn how to read to become a princess. Yeah. I'm not going to teach my kids to read. They're gonna, I don't want them to all be princesses. <laughs> They're going to be or a you can take a page out of Camila's book and just play the long game as the side chick and still become queen. Oh, oh the shade. <laughs> the shade the shade you'll have to listen green with me to listen to that episode mm-hmm. <laughs> shameless plug anyway so we start training or lack thereof and they don't do it at the house of wind which i find is so weird that they go all the way to the illyrian training camp well i thought he had stuff to do over there so it was kind of like ticking two boxes or like like killing two birds one stone yeah right? two for one um, well yeah because there are at, you, what tends to happen after a war, Resand and Cassian have explained, is that the war, like the fringe war bands and the and the groups that aren't in like the major camps, mm-hmm. start kind of going a little AWOL and want to rebel. So they were starting to put out the uh, what's the word? 
the dissent amongst some of those groups. So Cassie was kind of making the rounds, making sure everyone's okay, putting them in their place. And also, now that Reese is back for the first time in 50 years, they're back on working towards getting the female Illyrians properly trained in the armies. So they do have a lot of cleanup work that had been neglected over these years that they are working towards right now. Do you guys find it funny that they just spent all of this time fighting this war for people who don't want to be part of them? What, the Illyrians? All of it. Like, Feyre and Rhysand, they fought this whole war to, like, save everybody. And then you see all this, um, like, the Illyrians don't want to be part of it. Autumn Court doesn't want to be part of it. Humans don't want to be part of it. Like, they all just kind of want to do their own thing. I had that thought, honestly, when we were finishing it. I knew that things weren't going to be, like, perfect with a bow at the end of the third book. But for how desolate these people were acting... And after the 50 years of trauma they went through with Amarantha, you think they'd be a little bit more motivated to not fall back into something similar. Whereas they're just kind of like, oh, it's finally over. Now we can go do our own thing or like make new allies and stuff. It just, just seems so strange to me. Nitpick and fuck around with each other because I don't like your face for whatever reason. Do you think? Yeah, and now I can say that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's just the damage is done and they just don't trust other like they just don't they're just scared and that trauma and fear is just so embedded they don't trust other courts and they don't really trust the outcomes of things it's kind of like american politics where the fucking boomers don't know when to quit these people have hundreds and hundreds of years of resentment and you know they've all fucked each other over in one Mm. way or another yeah. So they have these hundreds of years of them having pulled one out on each other. And now they have to work together. Of course they don't want to. And nobody's, yeah. they, they last forever. But they all work together to win the war. That's so weird to me that it's like, okay, we did that. Now we're not going to continue this. Yeah. You'd think it would be a fresh enough perspective, you know, almost dying, losing everything, you know, but what yeah, do I know? old heads. Gosh, if that doesn't, so if that old. doesn't get you to change your mind, I don't know what will. Jeez. Like, right? I don't yeah. know. That. I I agree. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we end up training. What is the place called again? Windhaven, Windhaven is one of the major Illyrian camps. And this is so when Nesta goes there, she is being the little bitch that she is and Cassian's <laughs> trying to train her and she refuses she just kind of sits on a rock and is like no I'm not gonna do that because she's witnessing all of these male Illyrian warriors just be so degrading to her and about women they end up calling her a witch they think she's a witch after coming out of the cauldron and she like totally plays into it what does she say oh they said what are you doing here and she said witchcraft <laughs> and <laughs> It's feeding into there's so much superstition still amongst the camps about women's roles in an army with weapons, all of that. So they're like, well, you can't touch the swords if you're on your period and you can't do this and you can't do that. And she's like, I'm a witch. You want to try me? And they all freaked out on her. Well, and what did Declan say? He he went to Cassie and it was like, everything she touches, you have to burn now. You have to bury it. Yeah. You to- <laughs> oh, you have to bury it. That was the superstition. Yeah. That's so funny. Men are so stupid. It's like toxic masculinity to like the nth level. <laughs> it is funny how like they will, like 
They are so masculine by clipping their females' wings because they don't see them as, like, equal, trainable, or anything like that. And it's like, if you're so scared of women, why do you need to clip their wings if they're already the weaker race? And why are you worried about Nesta being a witch? It's funny if you think about it, because they have, like, an extreme fear of cooties. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. like they had a cooties outbreak like at the beginning of time (laughs) the plague of cooties that just wiped out their entire fleet (laughs) oh god honestly they need cooties to clear out some of those camps of that trash just saying i know for real well and we also find out that like while cassian is there he is also trying to make sure that the women are training and none of the women are training because the men won't let them or they're training like at super off hours after they finish a certain day's worth of chores. It's so antiquated. Well, and that's why that's why again why Cassian doing this whole like rehab thing with Nessa is really frustrating. Like he obviously has shit to do. Like he needs he's the only one who's really advocating for change, especially in these types of environments. And he can't even be there because Cause Ness is too busy dragging his balls up and down the fucking stairs. Like, I mean, I just, it's, it's really frustrating. Cause I feel like Cassie is a really good guy for the most part. I think he's very consistent. Um, and, um, and I, and I think he genuinely wants like peace. I think he genuinely wants everyone to be happy and for, he's a huge advocate for equality, but He's resaying his little errand boy sometimes, or most of the time, and it's preventing him from pursuing his passions. Which, you know, we we had talked about this in the last ep- in the last episode about Frost and Starlight. How Cassian's like that uncle who always sleeps on the couch. Like you have a spare bedroom, but he just chooses to sleep on the couch. And he kind of has that vibe to him of of not caring. I feel like it comes from a place of sort of giving up a little bit because he's not really given the opportunities to pursue the things that he wants to do and i feel like that's because of resand oh yeah 100 percent. i think it's a combo i think it's not necessarily i think resand is the end effect of it all but i think it's the centuries of being told how worthless he was because he was a bastard that he was never going to amount to anything and so him becoming the general i mean mostly because of his skill but the final push of being resand's best friend i mean that that's no one else would have taken cassian seriously well Well, and like the thing is is like no one will mess with him now because like even at the general, no one can ever even come for his position because of his ties to Resand. Well, and you can actually good. Po- the other point is, I guess Cassian has every right to turn Resand down. I mean, and he won't do it because that's his best friend. Because that's his best friend, and and I think, but I think also Sam has a good point because of this very low self, like very low self esteem and self self worth. Um. He's just not going to advocate for what he wants and what he wants to do in, in general. Well, like, it's funny because, like, what he wants is just whatever Rhysand wants him to do. Like, I genuinely think that he's happy doing that. I disagree. I don't get that vibe from him. I feel like, I feel like he, 
I feel like Cassian is one of those people who is very much glow go with the flow. Um, but I think he has his own, I think he has his own like passions and things he wants to pursue. He just isn't given, he wants people to give him the, he wants permission to do them and he's waiting for that, but he never gets it. And I think that kind of makes him a little, I, I feel like because he's a general, like he's so used to being given commands, like he's so used to having direction and structure so when it comes to the things he wants to do, he wants permission to do those things. And Risa won't give it to her, or will anyone will. And I, I I just I get that feeling from him and I can't explain of this like defeated nature of him, like personality wise. Yeah, he's like a high like it's a high functioning depression almost. Where he everything looks good, he's at the peak of his career, he would not want to be doing anything else with his life. But he like he reached the peak and he's like, I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. Like, this is it for me. Yeah. What more can I possibly do? Right. I have done everything that's been in my wheelhouse that's been given to me that I'm, I'm feel comfortable and I'm capable of doing. But he's obviously not fulfilled. Like his life isn't fulfilling him in, in that, in any aspect. Like he's content, but not happy. Or you could say he's not fulfilling something. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good segue. Thanks, Fuds. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Nesta, um, I... (laughs) So... I had to get there somewhere. Yeah, no, you did did well. You're getting... If I could clap, I would. Um, I... So Nesta is... When she's not training with uh, Cassie, when he's not fulfilling Nesta, or, or like when she's... Whatever... She's working in the library with Clotho. When we met Clotho in Akawar, she is the like head priestess of the library underneath the House of Wind. Um, and she also, uh, her tongue was cut out because um, most of the priestesses. So every priestess that's in the library or who work in the library, it's almost like monks. Um, they're there because of something tra- like something traumatic has happened to them. They're sort of abuse. They're, they're abuse survivors. Um, and Clotho was attacked and her assailants not only cut out her tongue, but they healed it so it can never grow back. Um, yeah. And she it was that way. She couldn't name them for what they did to her um her also her fingers are all smashed up and nesta makes a point of that i think that's why nesta really likes the librarians as we talked about from the introduction this book she certainly views her um her going to the cauldron as an assault and she's connect like she's in an environment full of survivors um and i think that's and i think that is a good environment for her and Clotho, uh, Clotho kind of writes notes to Nesta and gives her instruction through on paper to tell her what to do and whatnot. Um, Wait, but Clotho can't write. She it's it's magical. It's magic. Yeah, uh, it, it, but she's not allowed to write. Wait, this is a flaw then, because how can she not write the names of her abusers then, with if not through magic? She chose not to, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. if I remember correctly, she chose not to, but more figured it out, and she hunted them down anyways. I'm trying to um, 
catch Sarah J. Mass slipping. No, she 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 covered her butt. She really did. Like it's hard. It is hard to find Sarah J. Mass not covering her butt. She normally gets. She normally does it. Yeah, I remember that specifically. Clotho refused to write it out, and she also refused to let Resand look into her mind to see who it was too. And you know what I appreciate about Resand? I will say this: he was considerate of her not wanting him in her mind and respected that. One of the few things Rhysand respected. He has he has a couple brownie points. Like I'm I'm being I'm mad at him for a lot. Like I'm 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 being very hard on him in this book. I'm I'm honestly just still mad about the whole threatening to fight Nesta in the first couple chapter. Like I'm still mad about that. But I'll get over it. Um and uh and yeah so she's been working in the library this is also where we meet Gwen. Yes, Gwen. So this is really interesting about Gwen. So if you remember in uh, Mist and Fury, right, Sam? There was a priestess temple that was attacked and all the priestesses were slaughtered or most of them were slaughtered um, because they wanted the legs of the cauldron. So this was one of the, the, the temples that had one of the legs. And Gwen was in that temple when it happened. She's one of those priestesses. That a Azrael saved. Yeah, the Azrael saved. Ooh, Azrael. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know what's so <laughs> funny? Because Sam and I know the future and all the drama. I love how Carps has no idea. What, what do I have no idea about? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just want to like, I just want to pinpoint like star this moment in time and see how she thinks about it after this book. She's already got opinions. Oh yeah, I do. I have a huge, I have a reaction for this first section. I just have to edit it together. Uh, And then I think, I think after. We also meet Meryl. Meryl is her bitchy boss. Gwen's bitchy boss specifically because. Well, she's also technically kind of Nesta's. Well, she's one of the priestesses that Esther works with. I get that. But we also, in this same chapter, we meet Emery up in Windhaven on her second or third day of quote-unquote training with Cassian. And we had met Emery previously when Cassian went to go. Right. We're making the connection again of Emery from Cassian having met her in Frost and Starlight to then Nesta now meeting her. Which is interesting because, like, Nesta seems to have a respect for Emery and... Gwen that she does not really have for other people. I don't know. Rereading, it's kind of funny. Like Gwen and Nesta are a little bit feistier than I had remembered. Like I know that they become friends, and I think I'm not spoiling anything. I think that's pretty obvious where it's going, right? Yeah. Um. And yeah, like uh, they really kind of butted heads at first. Like Gwen kind of put her in her place. I didn't realize how spicy Gwen kind of could be. You know what it is? I think Gwen just kind of like she she has the zestiness mm-hmm. that Nesta also has. That like she, that just like throw it back in your face in a playful way. Where like mm-hmm. she's zesty, but she's also like not an asshole at the same time. Yes. She's there's like almost a blunt honesty to everything she says. Nothing's filtered. Well, and nothing none of it seems to come from like disrespect or hatred. She's just kind of like, oh yeah, sure. I made a note that Gwen's kind of like a foil to more. Like if we were, you know, if we were taking this like Nest, like because now Nest is the lead heroine in this book versus Feyre being the original lead heroine. Um, 
I feel like Gwen and Moore are very similar in their sort of their sort of directness, but also like their spicy behavior as well. I, I don't think I, it's different because I feel like Moore is a little sassier, whereas uh, Gwen is definitely more direct. She's like if Elaine and Moore had a baby. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. I say so because I think there's a demureness to Gwen that's very apparent as well. She's got little freckles on her tail. Cutie. <laughs> My fellow ginger. Yeah, I think I'm, I forgot how much I like Gwen and I'm very excited rereading this and getting to know her again. I think I prefer a little bit more than Emery, but who's picking favorites? Not me. So I think after one of her library shifts, uh, Nessa really wanted a drink. <laughs> oh, wait, can we, one, one side note that we should mention in the library Nesta is getting very claustrophobic the more she goes down, and Briaxis still isn't back. Yeah, she's still missing. Briaxis is doing Briaxis yeah. right now. Which, I mean, Pretty girl. I don't think it was part of her bargain with Feyre to return. It was. It was, but there wasn't, like, a time limit, like, you have to return by September 8th or something like that. I <laughs> think it was implied that it was she was supposed to come back after the war. Right. But after the war could be a year after the war, two years after the war, three years, three after, years the war. after the war. <laughs> <laughs> Semantics. Mm-hmm. Potato, um, potato, sputty, sputter. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, I hate it when she calls me sputters. I love <laughs> so that. Stupid. I don't mind it in private, but in public, it's so embarrassing. It already has taken me a lot to explain when people are like, why did she call you spuds? And I'm like, it's a thing. Do you like potatoes? And you're like, no. No. I hate potatoes. I know the irony of that. (laughs) I really hate potatoes. But you know what? It is funny when I try to, when I, so my poor dietitian. every time I bring you guys up, she like gets you too confused. And she's like, is it carbs or Sam? And she's like, and carbs is Sarah. <laughs> she, like, she like has to have a carbs map for it. Carbs is Sam, Sarah, Sam's is swags. <laughs> One of those I love two. People. <laughs> and people, and it's funny. Cause like when I talk about you guys at work or stuff, when people try to, cause I refer to you as carbs. When people try to like have a conversation with me about it, they like you can always tell they pause before they say Carbs' name because they don't know if they're allowed to say that <laughs> because of just how carbs. what the word is. I was trying to get at work. Um, I was because tr- I, I I've been telling people at work about the podcast, but I was like, you know what, Davita is a little. Actually, we'll have to we'll have to bleep out Davita, but um, my company's a little more stingy about the sort of stuff that we're doing and I cuss a lot and we're obviously talking about getting D. So I don't know if it was a good idea for me to tell my work that I do this. So I was like, you know what? I'll just stop telling people my name is Carbs and I'll go back to Sarah because I'm Carbs on the show. And they'll be like, ooh, this is a totally different person even though I sound the same. But I went to a meeting in Denver with our whole legal department. I'm like, there's no way they're going to introduce me as carbs that's completely like too casual too inappropriate so but in front of like 
14 attorneys are like, okay, next carbs is going to talk about the, our new responsibility. Oh no. <laughs> our new initiative for this so sourcing much. tool. And I'm like, life is over now. Like, <laughs> I am carbs. I, <laughs> that is who I am. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. So I, I, I came, I'm like, just, just keep the carbs. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> It's funny though, cause like when I when I call you that, like everyone they I can always say when they're like tell when they're about to say your names because they always pause and like give it a, like a test run. Like they'll say it really lightly, and then I'll kind of give them a nod, and they're like, "Okay, carbs." Yeah, <laughs> you guys are so weird. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Books. Yeah, we were talking about Emery. I wanted to get into the fact that after doing all the book work at the library, after doing all the work at the library, Nesta decides to go uh, get a drink. So she decides to brave the 10,000 steps and she gets <laughs> to a hundred. Cause she tripped. Yeah, she tripped. And, uh, and she's like, nope, nope, going back. And she had to crawl back. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Cassie and she opens the door like collapses and there's Cassie and just grinning like a feed just like he's like you know what I had a shitty day but this this made it worth <laughs> this it. Did it it is so funny like honestly if they needed to rehab Nesta they probably didn't even need to threaten her they probably just needed to drop her off at the house of wind and be like figure it out right yeah exactly <laughs> like, let her do it doesn't need to train and work at the library to see how if she's able to escape. And then have a Cassie in there to be the commentator as she tries to get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wouldn't have lasted a day. And one of the times when she's walking down the stairs, so she hasn't really used her power that she's gotten from the cauldron since the war. Yeah. And when she trips, she tries to catch herself. And, like, embeds her hand into the stone steps or the stone wall. And she, for a moment, like, she's so exhausted and delirious because she's not eating much. She's stressed out. She's malnourished. She's, like, kind of deteriorating. And she, like, thinks she sees sparks. And then she realizes that she's left, like, finger indents into the stone. Yeah, so, so her power, it's still there. It is still kicking. And she talks about how she can feel it, like, bo- like under the surface of her skin. Like, she can feel when the magic is going to overflow from her. Mm-hmm. Kind of very cauldron-esque. She is... The descriptions of the magic in her and how she's feeling and her own anger and all of her emotions is very... Yeah, it's very symbolic to me as you read it. Wouldn't that be so scary? Like, having this power inside of you that you feel just boiling over. Like, I think of, like, when I get angry or something and I feel like my blood temperature go up. Thinking about that being uncontrolled and not knowing a thing about it. And it's weird to me that, like, even through all of this stuff, like, no one... Like, they're training her, yes, but no one's really doing a deep dive into what her power actually is. Mm -hmm. And they just know that they're all afraid of her because it's, like, death. But it's, like, aren't you kind of worried for Nesta? I know, right? Could that just kill her? Or are you just worried about your image? I've thought about that too, because even like with Elaine in the third book, this girl's having fucking visions, and you guys are just like sitting there, like, should we listen to it? Is she okay? Is she is her brain scrambled from the cauldron? Like nobody's questioning it, other than oh, she might be a seer next or or they utilize it they're like oh she can do this 
Like, no one's ever thought, like, hey, not only did they just become Fae, and obviously we know that's really difficult because we saw what just happened to Faerun getting all these powers, but at least we know where these powers come from. We don't know what the fuck powers Nesta and Elaine have. Like, we know that they're a seer and whatever the fuck Nesta is, death-wise, but, like, they don't have a grasp of what it actually is or does. Like, who's to say that them being a bitch to Nesta won't just make her explode and, like, ruin the whole world out of uncontrolled power? That's why Nesta was turning to alcohol and sex, because she, like, she really didn't understand it. She didn't know how to manage it. Um, and she probably didn't want to feel it. Yeah, and she, when she would, so when she would feel it boil over like that, she's like, well, I'm gonna drown this shit out, so... Which, like, can you blame her? No! Can you really blame her? I'd probably be doing the same thing. I'd be like, well, don't like that feeling. Let me go out. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Am I the problem? (laughs) Is this really me? I think I'd rather just become an alcoholic. Yeah. Easy. (laughs) But yeah. Oh, and something that's so cute that is happening throughout this whole story, which, honestly, this is the friendship goals, is Nesta and the House of Wind. Can we just talk about how endearing that the house is to her? You know what, though? I have a theory about this, and I am certain I will be right about this. (laughs) What is it? I don't trust it, and I'll tell you why. Because I know (laughs) that... (laughs) I know... I know that uh, Sarah J. Mass is a huge um, is a huge Harry Potter fan, and I will give you two words: Tom Riddle. That <laughs> like no, this house is getting on her good side. It has never done this stuff before, and Cassian is like he's like, oh, that's weird. The house has never responded this way, so it's behaving in a way it's never done before. It's being too nice. And then um, it's it's like feeding off of her or something's going to happen. It's going to trick her somehow. I don't know how, but it, I, I, I'm, I am certain of it. Like, I don't trust One it. theory that I have. Yeah, I don't trust it. That like is not necessarily for this book because this obviously doesn't happen in this book. But I have a theory that when it comes to world crossing, that the house is actually another character embodied in it. And, like, somehow it relates to Nesta because of, like, Nesta's death factor. So I'm wondering if it's a character in in another book series of Sarah J. Mass that died and may have, like, come back in this different form. Ooh, it's Lahaba! It's Lahaba! Oh my gosh! And that's why she put out the flames for her and she was able to I was gonna say Jezebel, but yeah. It's lava! You can't tell me anything now. (laughs) Because also, Nesta has a really hard time, we find out in this book, and this, honestly, like, this broke my heart when I found this out, that she cannot be around fires because the cracking sound reminds her so much of her dad's neck breaking, and it is such a trigger for her that she cannot, like, be near a fire if one's around like the sound just eats her alive and when she's inside the house the house has a fire going and she says no no fires and so the house heats up her room for her and that's something sweet like lava would do i'm just just saying yeah i'm (laughs) Well, if if the house is saps all of you, <laughs> if the house doesn't screw her over, which I'm certain it will, um, then I'm going to assume it's Mahala. <laughs> I like the house. I like their little dynamic, and it's even funny because like Cassian tries to get Nesta to eat, and she just won't. Like she's just 
she's got issues, you know, but the house can depressing. Get, yeah, and the house can get her to eat, and Cassian gets low-key jealous. He's like, Ugh. he sees these empty trays outside of Nesta's door, and he's like, okay, so you can get her to eat, but I can't. Me, me, me. I'm Cassian. <laughs> My wingspan's bigger than yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Hello. Oh, and, and we also come to a boiling point, so we'll kind of wrap up this section with... <sighs> It's so sad. Yeah. Nesta and Cassian kind of get into it because Cassian's pushing her and Nesta's just like not ready to be pushed right now. And Cassian starts like talking about Reese and Nesta starts kind of trash talking Reese for good reason because he also hasn't been the nicest person to her. And Cassian was like, this is why everybody hates you. Then, you know, Feyre, like in the metal and all that. She has a talk with Cassie, and they're talking about Nesta's progress. He's like, well, she's not training, but she's at least working at the library. And Feyre encourages him to just keep reaching out. So he has an epiphany based on his conversation with Feyre that we already touched on about how she is too prideful to want to deal with and train as a novice which is the name of the section, in front of all those Illyrian warriors. So he gets the idea, finally, our great dumb himbo, to train, <laughs> not at Windhaven, but at the House of Wind in the training ground on, this, on the roof. Which makes so much sense, because it's right there. Uh, instead of that miserable flight, like the Illyrian mountains are cold. There's just icky men there. Like, I wouldn't want to do it either, Nesta. I get it. Well, and I mean, she's going through stuff, and now you want to put her through, like, in front of a bunch of judgmental asshole masculine men. Like, you really thought that that was a good choice. This girl who's weakened down, not eating, and is going through depression and probably alcohol withdrawals. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how it works when you're high fay, but I would assume it's, it's somewhat bad. I know. It was all just really sad. And towards the end of chapter 12 is when they talk and Cassian's like I didn't actually mean what I said about everyone hating you and she's like no it's true and like that it is what it is but I want you to know that I never hated you no she's practically saying I love you that was a very not messed up thing to say and like I will say honestly in that moment her saying that to Cassian was probably the first time in this book and maybe even the whole series not even the whole series because like she did this during the war but since all of the shit has gone down and her spiraling that she showed a sign of I don't even know what you would call it, but compassion. Compassion, yeah. yeah for somebody else. So it was a really sweet moment. And then they go back to sexual tension. It's yeah, fun. which is nice. Um they, they also <laughs> they also um they also make a bargain too. Um we got little back tattoos on the um and it was, uh, I think Cassie did a really good job. Like, he wasn't super excited. He wasn't super bossy about training at the House of Wind. He's just like, you know what? Um, more can't take us to Windhaven today. So we're, so just for today, we're going to do it. We're going to do it here instead. And, and he's like, you know what? If, uh, if you finish today's train, like, you know, if you're, I'll, I'll make a bargain with you. If you finish today's training, I'll owe you a favor. And she's like, anything? He's like, anything and um and uh, she's like bad choice cassian yeah, and she's like oh that's a pretty dicey bargain but she ends up taking it and it's kind of cool because she's pretty eager to use weapons 
And he's like, slow down, shorty. You got to work on your footwork. <laughs> so Balance. Um, learn how to yeah. breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of it was breathing. She was like, so out of breath. He's like, all right, ready? We're going to go breathe in. One, two, three. We're going to breathe out. Two, three. Well, and something that we should mention with the bargain is Farrah, or not Farrah, Nesta, so she would train for an hour and her side that she receives from Cassian is that she can ask a favor of any magnitude at any time. One favor. And I feel like that was a huge fuck up on Cassian's part. He should know out of everyone. What did Alice say to Pharaoh one time? No matter what you do, don't bargain with a fae. Mm-hmm. Unless you like really, really have to. But I mean, Cassian's our resident himbo. So I mean, are we surprised by this? <laughs> he was hoping that it would have something to do with sex. He's like, oh yeah, I'll come give like, you favors the odds of that are high in my favor let's go ness yeah let's go i, I think <laughs> ness is smarter than that she's gonna she's gonna rake him through the coals somehow i don't know how but she's gonna do it as she should oh yeah mm-hmm. no, uh, cassie is not gonna get prepared no oh god no oh god no poor poor man <laughs> ready to watch our little himbo become a simp it'll be uh. great I know, Mr. Macho Man is, like, crawling to her. Anyway, mm. so that was A Court of Silver Flames, chapters 1 through 12. It was a lot of information. Final thoughts. I love this book. It's hard to read. It's good. I really liked this book. I, I think this is my favorite. I can get people really love this book. It is just, it's just, it's just good. It's just really well written. I really like the characters. I never thought I would be such a Nesta supporter. Cause I, 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 I really didn't like her throughout the first three books. And, yeah. uh, and as she's not a likable character. She's not, but you know, seeing what she's going through and just, I don't know, like, I th- I think, it's, sorry, Sam, you had read that thing about how Sarah J. Moss was exploring a lot of her own mental health when she wrote this oh, book. I did, actually, I was going to ask you if I could read it to you guys. Yeah, yeah, do you mind? So, at the end of this book, once you get through it, in the acknowledgments, Sarah J. Moss says, But perhaps most important, this book was a companion during my own journey through the valleys and mountains of mental health traveling alongside me as I faced all the jagged bits inside myself. While Nesta's story is in no way a direct reflection of my own experiences, there were moments in this book that I very much needed to write, not just for the sake of these characters, but for myself. I hope some of those moments resonate and will remind you, dear reader, that you are loved and that you are worthy of love no matter what. And let me say that I start. we started reading this at the tail end of me moving out of Nashville, and selling a home is outrageously stressful and even more so when you're doing it on your own with no like partner whatever luckily I didn't have kids but it was a nightmare to do and anytime that packing got too overwhelming the buyers were up my ass about something stupid I was like I'm gonna take a page out of Nesta's book and I'm gonna go for a fucking walk right now And let me tell you that those walks cleared my head and I got so much done after. There's so much you can pull from this book that can help you in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. Oh, and it's like, and it's so interesting. So like, I haven't rewrite it yet, but like it, it, I think no matter what point in your life you're at, like there's so much in this book that is just 
it's relatable and encouraging in the sense that even when you're watching Nestad or lowest points, those points resonate so much, whatever experience that you're going through. Like, I will say this again, like I've only cried twice reading a book and this book was one of them. I really connected to Nesta's journey, especially in the beginning, because um, I really struggled with mental health and my family wanted me to handle it their way instead of showing me, like giving me the courtesy of letting me like figure it out for myself and, and sort of pushing me into different directions. So I, I really related to Nesta with that and I really like, I didn't think I would connect with her so strongly but I agree it's just seeing her go through this and seeing her overcome this stuff is very relatable and I I certainly you know I don't I don't know like it's just kind of nice to have that sort of validation and and this sort of community I I think to an extent because I think that's why I love this book and I love book talk because I think there is a general understanding about like how women I would say especially women connect to these books and these similar themes that we all go through oh yeah I mean like I related a lot to self Nesta's self-loathing mm-hmm. and, like when I read this book I've almost been afraid to pick it back up and read it again like I know that we're talking about it and I was talking with Sam earlier about whether or not I should reread it because I know that sometimes when you reread a book, it doesn't have the same effect on you. But when I first read this book, it was at such a turning point in my life for a hard upward struggle that I was not necessarily prepared for. And it was like exactly what I needed to like read and see and go through and live through the book in the moment that I think helped me strive towards healing. And I think I've been scared to reread it because I'm like, I hope it still has the same effect in my new healed brain. But we were talking about how like even in healing that it might be good to read because it kind of showcases like what you've already been through. Mm -hmm. And it's like that reminder of like, I've overcome this terrible stuff. To show how far you've come, not necessarily like starting at the same point, but to, so you can actually appreciate your own achievements journey yeah Yeah. it's just it was it was such a good read so i hope that if you're listening and you haven't read this book yet or you have feelings because it's about nesta it is such a good book and i hope you pick it up and read it and i can guarantee that you'll find something in it that resonates with you so on that sappy note (laughs) what, what are we talking about in the next section sam we are going to be covering the second part of part one because we tried to do all of it in one recording, but an hour and 45 minutes in wasn't going to happen. So we will be covering chapters 13 through 24. We might do a little bit past that. I'm going to double check all of our reading marks and it might be a little bit past 24. We will see. On a sad note, but a hopeful note because this book will get better. Thank you for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.